Good to be with you again this evening, and I'm glad that we have an opportunity to worship again. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 15 with me, and we're going to begin our study in just a moment in that chapter, Romans chapter 15. We serve a God, as we well know, thankfully so, who desires to hear from his people prayer as we often, as we often uh, discuss, is something that is a privilege for the children of God, and it is something that God wants us to find great joy and delight in. We know that because, for example, prayer is commanded. In a passage like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, we are told to pray without ceasing. In Romans 12, in verse 12, we are told to continue steadfastly or to continue earnestly in prayer. The Bible tells us that God delights in the prayer of the righteous. In Psalm, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 15, in verse number 8, Jesus told a parable that men ought always to pray and never to faint. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, we have a God in heaven who desires to hear from us. But more than that, We have a God who has promised to respond to our prayers and our petition to him when we bring them before his throne. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, Jesus uh, elaborates on that truth. And yet the irony, of course, is found in the fact that though we know God desires to hear our prayer and though he has promised to answer our prayers, for many of us, myself included, prayer is is probably one of the things that we struggle with the most as far as being able to understand all of the ins and outs of it, being able to wrap our minds around it. I think I've told you before that in all of the congregations where I've worked, if I were to make a list of the top five questions, prayer would certainly be in the top one or two in every one of those congregations. By the way, I think there are five Sundays in December, so... We're going to have question and answer on the fifth Sunday night, if there are five Sundays this month, which I think that there are. Uh, But anyway, that's bonus. Just file that away. Prayer is something that we want to know more about, that we want to understand better, that we want to grow and increase our knowledge and our our, our practice in. And that is, of course, a noble aspiration and necessary. I'd like for us to look at a lesson tonight about prayer that we actually learn from the Apostle Paul. And this begins in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 22. What we find in Romans chapter 15 verse 22 at the outset doesn't really seem to have much to do with prayer at all. In fact, what it really is, is it's the Apostle Paul laying out what his future plans and aspirations happen to be as he explains it to the church at Rome He talks about what he prays, and he asks them to pray for him and with him. And I want us to look at his desire, first of all, and then I'd like for us to take a step back and analyze how that desire all worked itself out. Let's read together, beginning in Romans 15, verse 22. Paul says, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts... And having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I will come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, 
But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now look at everything that Paul has said in Romans chapter 15 verse 22 and following and you can summarize it in just a few passages. First of all, Paul is expressing his desire and his future plans and the first point of this is that he has a desire to go to Spain. Look at verse number 24. He says, whenever I journey to Spain... I will come to you because I hope to see you on my journey. His ultimate desire was to go to Spain because that was a region which he had never visited and that he had never been able uh, where he had never been able to preach. Some have suggested that there may be in these passages an indication that what Paul wanted to do is make the congregation at Rome or make Rome like his home base for him to be able to go into Spain and continue preaching the gospel. So he tells them in verse 24, I want to go to Spain, but first I want to come and I want to see you. And the reason that I want to see you, he says at the end of verse 24, is so I can enjoy your company for a while. He wants to go to Rome and enjoy their company or their fellowship. Look at verse 31. Before he's able to come to Rome, however, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the reason that he's on his way to Jerusalem, if you remember from our study of the book of Acts or from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, is that there has been a contribution that has been made to the needy saints in Jerusalem. And so the Apostle Paul has that, and he is on his way there to deliver it. So his plan is to go to Jerusalem, to deliver the contribution, then to travel to Rome, stay for a short time, and make his way to Spain. Look what he says in verse 31. Here's what I'm asking you to do in verse 30. I'm asking you to strive together with me in prayer to God for me. And here's why. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. That's number one. I'm praying and I want you to pray that God will deliver me from the enemies of Christ in Judea. And then number two, he says, also that my service for Jerusalem may be found acceptable to the saints. So it's a prayer for deliverance from the enemies, verse 31, and a prayer that the offering will be accepted also, verse number 31. And then look at verse 32. It is also a prayer for fellowship, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He then wants to leave Jerusalem and go to Rome, stay for a while, enjoy their fellowship, and then be able to go to Spain and preach the gospel. And Paul's prayer and his request is that the Roman Christians pray the same. 
That is, that he will be delivered from those who are enemies in Judea, that the contribution will be accepted, and that he'll be able to make his way on to Rome with joy and enjoy fellowship and go and work in Spain. Now, take a step back from that just a moment and put your bookmark there and then turn your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 5, is the setting of the book of Romans. And in fact, Paul wrote Romans during the time period that is described in the first five verses of Acts chapter 20. It would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 56 to 58 A.D. So it is at this point in Acts Acts 20, verse 1 to 5, that he says... I'm going to Jerusalem, I want to go to Rome, then Spain, pray for me that I'll be delivered and that the contribution will be accepted. That's his prayer. That's when he writes it. Does anybody know what happens between Acts chapter 20 and the end of the book? In Acts chapter 21, the apostle Paul arrives in Jerusalem, as you may recall, but things don't go exactly as intended when he arrives there. He offers the contribution, he gives it over, but he ends up being arrested, you remember. Put on trial for his life. And he doesn't actually make it to Rome until Acts chapter 28. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 28, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four years has transpired since he wrote Romans chapter 15 verse 22 and following. So he, after three or four years, finally makes his way into, uh, finally makes his way into Rome. And according to Acts chapter 28, the last portion of the chapter, the Apostle Paul spends about two years in Rome under house arrest. Now, what does all of that mean as it pertains to what he wrote in Romans 15 and as it pertains to prayer? Well, the first thing that jumps off the page is that though Paul lays out what his desire is and what he asks them to pray for and what he's praying for in Romans 15, the book of Acts will tell us that things did not actually work out at all the way that the apostle Paul planned. He wanted to go to Jerusalem and he prayed that he would be delivered from Jerusalem so that he could quickly make his way to Rome and then on to Spain. That's not how it happened. It took three to four years from being arrested in Jerusalem to finally arrive in Rome. He arrived in Rome in chains. He stayed there under house arrest. And as far as what God's word tells us, he never was able actually to make it to Spain. So what can we learn from all of this? Let me suggest three things. Number one, we can learn something about the action of prayer. The action of prayer. Look again at Romans 15 and verse 30. Notice that Paul uses this word strive. He says, I want you to strive together with me and in prayers to God for me. The word strive is the word that we see in other passages in the New Testament that has to do with agonizing or even with wrestling. It's like Jude verse 3, contend earnestly for the faith. The word contend is the idea there. So Paul is literally saying, I want you to strive or agonize or I want you to wrestle together in prayer with me and for me. Now what does that tell me about prayer? It tells me that 
prayer is something that should be engaged in, first of all, often. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 and following, Jesus gave a parable, and the point of it was that men ought always to pray, and listen to this, never to what? Never to faint. The idea is never to give up, but to continue earnestly, daily, regularly, as our habit, habitually, in prayer to God. It's something that should happen often. Romans 12 and verse 12, Paul said, you are to continue earnestly in prayer. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2, the apostle Paul said, continue also earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6 and verse 18, the same thing. So, The action of prayer, Romans 15 and verse 30 and these other passages, as Paul describes it as a striving or an agonizing or a wrestling, it tells me that prayer is not something that is to be taken lightly. It's not an every once in a while kind of thing that we half-heartedly engage in. But rather it is a, if I can use this terminology, it is a spiritual discipline which requires discipline which requires training, which requires thought and energy and effort, and it's something that is to be ongoing and all the time. I may feel like my prayer life is stagnant. I'm having a hard time growing in prayer. Maybe the reason why I'm struggling with it so much is because I'm not striving or agonizing or wrestling with it. I'm not really digging in and trying to understand what it's all about, and I'm not in the habit of always practicing prayer, if I can, again, use that terminology. So all of this teaches us something about the action of prayer, that it's something to be done all the time, and there's effort that's to be given. But it also teaches us something about the answer uh, of prayer, and that's how God answers prayer. Again, think about everything that the Apostle Paul has laid out. You could even connect with this what he tells them in Romans chapter 1 in the first 14 verses. He tells them about how he has a desire to arrive there so that he can have some fruit among them, so that he can impart unto them some spiritual gift. The Apostle Paul's desire was not to arrive in Rome four years later than what he actually had planned to be there and uh, also under arrest and in Roman incarceration. Paul's desire was to be able to travel to Rome in a timely manner without being heated and hindered by being incarcerated and by having to answer before Caesar and able to work as he saw fit amongst the Christians in that place as long as he felt like he needed to. That was, that was his desire. But it didn't work out that way. Sometimes when we pray to God, God answers in the affirmative. He says yes. We have examples of that all throughout the Bible. Take 1 Samuel chapter 1 and Hannah and her prayer. Hannah prayed to God that God would bless her with a son, and she promised that if God would bless her with a son, that she would dedicate that son to his service. God answered that prayer. And so, uh, and so Samuel was born to her, and he, she did what she promised she would do and dedicated him to the Lord's service. There's 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 to 7. Where King Hezekiah is told, get your affairs in order because your life is coming to an end. You're going to, you're going to die. And Hezekiah pleads to the Lord. He prays to God that God would extend his life. And indeed he did. He, he had granted that request. 
Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, Peter has been arrested. Uh, James has already been killed. And the church is together in Jerusalem praying for the release of the apostle Peter. And God answers that prayer and he is released. Sometimes when we pray to God, he answers yes. But sometimes when we pray to God, he answers no. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 to 18. After the sin that David committed with Bathsheba, you remember that she gave birth to a child. That that child, after having been born, became ill. And David was pleading and praying with the Lord for the life of that child. The Lord did not grant that prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he said, I have, plea- I have prayed to God and I have begged with the Lord three times on three different occasions to relieve me from this burden, from this thorn. And three times, God said no. Sometimes God says, I'm going to do something different. 2 Samuel chapter 7, what was David's desire? His desire was to build the Lord a temple. God spoke to Nathan the prophet and said, Tell David, there will be a house built for me, but he's not doing it. His son will do it. But more to the point, I'm going to establish his seed. He wants to build me a house, but really I'm going to build him one, talking ultimately about the church. We look at the Apostle Paul and what his desire was, and it's very clear that the prayer of the Apostle Paul and the prayer that he asked these brethren to pray was not answered in the affirmative. It was not answered the way that Paul wanted it to be answered. That leads us to the third and maybe most important observation about prayer from this context, and that is that we learn something about the attitude of prayer. The attitude of prayer. One of prayer's requirements is faith. There is a passage that sheds light on all of this back in Acts chapter 20. I want you to notice Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23. Remember that Acts 20, verses 1 to 5, is the time period in which Paul writes Romans. Acts chapter 20, as we get to verse 22 and 23, Paul is with the Ephesian elders. He is exhorting them. He knows that that something is going to happen. He knows he's been told about the possibility of being arrested and being tried and so on. Listen to what he says in verse uh, 22 and 23. He says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Notice this. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Notice that. He says, I am on my way to Jerusalem and I don't know what awaits me there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that God has told me that chains await me. Remember what he asked them to pray? Pray to God that the offering will be accepted and what? That I'll be delivered from those in Judea who are the enemies and who seek to, who seek to, take, uh, over, to overwhelm me. Think about the amount of faith that the Apostle Paul had that is expressed in the statement in Acts 20, verse 22 and 23. James said in James chapter 1 and verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. But then he says, if you're going to ask of God, don't doubt, but rather let him ask in faith. He said, because the man who doubts, the man who wavers is like a a boat that's tossed about in the sea. He's unstable. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. 
Now, when the Apostle Paul writes Romans chapter 15 by inspiration of the Spirit, perhaps he knew at that point what he tells us that he knew in Acts 20, verse 22 and 23. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. But one thing we do know is that Paul was full of faith. And Paul was going to pray, and Paul asked the brethren to pray continually that even though he knew chains were coming, perhaps, yet still he would be delivered. He had faith that God would answer and that God had his best interest in mind. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11, Jesus emphasizes that very point. He talks about asking and seeking and knocking. And he says, if you, being a human being, I'm paraphrasing, if you, being a human being, being a man, if you know how to give good and appropriate things to your children and they ask of you, how much more our Heavenly Father? The point is that God knows what we need. That God knows what is best. And that God is never going to answer a prayer in a way that is going to be against what is in our best interest. We have to know that and we have to believe it. The Apostle Paul did. There's something else, though. I want you to look with me in the book of Philippians, and I want to just survey some passages in the book of Philippians for a moment. Another thing that we learn about the attitude of prayer is selflessness or sacrifice. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look at verse 18. What then, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Chapter 4 and verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now you may be wondering what in the world do these passages from Philippians have to do with Paul's prayer in Romans chapter 15? And here's the answer. Paul writes Romans in the time period of Acts chapter 20 verses 1 to 5. Paul writes Philippians in the time period of Acts chapter 28 when Paul had finally arrived in Rome and when when he was spending his two years in house arrest that are described at the end of that chapter. Think about that just for a moment. His desire, according to Romans chapter 15, is to go to Jerusalem, be delivered from those who seek me, make my way to Rome, enjoy your fellowship, work for a while, and then go to Spain. Didn't work out that way. And yet, at the end of it all, when he finally arrived in Rome in a way completely different than what he wanted to, what is his attitude as it's revealed in the book of Philippians? It's an attitude of thanksgiving. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It is an attitude that puts the gospel and the cause of Christ Jesus first. 
I want you to know, he says, that the things that have happened to me have happened rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds are made known in the palace and everywhere. And he says, listen, even many of the brethren here, they have been motivated, they have been inspired by my example to preach the word of God without fear. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do we see in the Apostle Paul? We see someone who is not bitter. No, not at all. He's not upset because things didn't work out his way and because God didn't answer the prayer exactly the way that he prayed it, exactly the way that he desired it. But rather he is someone who recognizes in a selfless way, not my will, but thine be done. Matthew 26 and verse 39. It's not wrong to pray for ourselves. In fact, we need to. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. We have a high priest who is holy and harmless and compassionate, and we ought to come to him in boldness. Hebrews chapter 4. Our Lord knows our needs, and he wants us to pray to him, and he wants us to come to him out of our needs and our desires and our frustrations and our joy and our pain and all of those things. But our prayer life is out of balance if we only pray for ourselves. And our attitude is out of balance if our attitude is to sulk and be upset if things don't go exactly the way we want them and exactly the way that we pray about them. Paul is joyful even though things didn't go his way because his emphasis is on the will of God being done. And then that segues into the final point that we learn about the attitude of prayer, which we've really already foreshadowed, and that is acceptance. There's faith, there's selflessness, and there's acceptance. Jesus said, if you're willing, Lord, let this cup pass from me. You remember, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew 26 and verse 39. Sometimes we have to just simply be willing to accept the fact that things that God He sees things a little differently than what we do. And what he wants may be different than what we want. And so the way things turn out, maybe not how we wanted them to. But yet we still have to be joyful and we still have to be appreciative and thankful. And we still have to keep our focus in the right direction. That's one of the many things that we learn from Paul and his plans in Romans chapter 15. Pray for me so that I can go to to go to Jerusalem and then go to you, see you, and then go to Spain. Pray for me that I can go there in joy and with comfort and so on. Well, he made it. He made it to Rome, but not how he wanted to. He was able to work in Rome, but again, not how he wanted to. Was he ever able to go to Spain? If he was, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about it. But Paul wasn't going to allow that to hinder his attitude or his mindset or his faith or anything. Because he knew what was most important and he knew he was in control. And so that governed his prayer and that governed his thought and that governed his life. Hope that this has been helpful and somewhat encouraging to each of us this evening. Give us some things to think about as we ponder our own prayer life. It's an interesting study, at least, I think. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation now, and it may be that there's someone here who has a desire to respond, perhaps to become a child of God. Or maybe you are a Christian and you have a desire to... Respond. Perhaps there are some challenges that you're facing in your life and you'd like for us to pray for you, to help you in some way. We can encourage you in whatever way. Come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.